Well, I greet each of you this morning in the name of Jesus. It has been good to be with you thus far this morning. I don't know if you've thought about it, but we've been called to some very difficult things this morning. Uh, Dallas led a song at the beginning, Jesus, I, my cross have taken. And wow, that was a, a powerful illustration of what it means to take up our cross. Uh, not some, Not easy things in that song. And then... Brother Brandon read from Matthew 10 where Jesus talked about cross-bearing, taking up our cross, and, and what that means and what that looks like and some of the implications of that, and not easy things. And then we had a very practical Sunday school lesson, um, but it all boils down to the old, old story that we just sang about. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. So the message this morning is maybe some more heart teaching, but again, it comes, flows out of the old, old story, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you have ever been lied to? How many of you have ever been stolen from, taken advantage of? Maybe someone tarnished your reputation. Maybe you've been misunderstood, falsely accused, maybe even abused. In other words, how many of you have ever been wronged by another person? If I were to ask you to raise your hand, I feel pretty confident that most hands would go up this morning. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, it seems that humanity is destined to inflict wounds upon one another. And you can read through, just read through Genesis, and you have Cain and Abel, you have Ham's disrespect for his father. You have Sarai and Hagar. You have Jacob and Esau. You have Rachel and Leah. You have Joseph and his brothers. And then you continue to read through the Bible and you continue to look at history all the way up to our present day. And you see one story after another of people being wronged by other people. How do you respond when you are hurt? by another person. There's two ways to respond, maybe more than two, but I think you could you could put it in one of two categories, either the natural way, which is to get revenge, to seek justice, seek for justice to be served, and then to isolate yourself from the one that has hurt you. Or there's God's way, which is to forgive, to return good for evil, to turn the other cheek, to love and pray for those who have wronged you. And so what way will you choose when you are wronged? God's way is not easy. In fact, some may argue that forgiveness and loving our enemies is one of the hardest things that Jesus taught us to do as his followers. And yet Jesus in his life and in his teaching gave us a beautiful demonstration of what this looks like, what this can look like, true forgiveness, true love for our enemies. And the greatest demonstration of this love was when Jesus was coming to the end of his life, he was falsely accused, he was beat, he was, he was lied about. Those closest to him who had promised to stay with him forsook him. One of his closest disciples denied him and said, I know not the man. 
He was, he was wounded for our transgressions. And yet as he hung on that cross, he cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The title of the message this morning is The Freedom of Forgiveness. The Freedom of Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very difficult thing to do because it means that someone has done me wrong. They have hurt me. They've been unfair to me. And it's in these times of difficulty that our flesh rises up and we say justice needs to be done. Justice needs to be served. And I'm not necessarily against justice. There is times when justice does need to be served. Justice is when we settle the scales. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But justice does not set you free. Our world thinks that justice brings freedom. But justice does not bring freedom. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness says, in spite of the fact that I have been wrong, I'm going to let go of this injustice in my life, and I'm going to let the offender go free of all responsibility. And when you do that, there's freedom for yourself as well. Someone once said that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then to discover that the prisoner was yourself. And that's so true. And so this morning in this message, I don't plan to show you how to avoid getting hurt. But it's my desire that we could see from God's word the proper way to handle these hurts so that we do not become a prisoner of our past, like so many people have. But rather, we can let go of those hurts and God can work in our life and He can bring glory to Himself through these hurts. I want to begin with two stories, two men that I've related with some, and you may have heard me talk about some of these men in other messages. Both of these men have provided ample sermon illustrations. The first one is a man that worked for me for about a year. His name was Rob. Rob grew up in a very bad environment. He vividly remembers when he was five years old, his parents dropping him off on a street corner and turning and walking away. And he cried after them, but they ignored his cries and walked out of his life. He was put in the foster system by the age of at least 11, he was smoking, he was drinking, he was doing drugs. He spent several years in a mental institution. He told me that he's never seen the inside of a classroom. Everything he learned, he learned in prison. So now I'm just going to, that's, that's Rob, I'm going to leave him there. I'm going to tell you about another man, a man by the name of J.P., Jean-Pierre, we call him J.P., J.P. was from the country of Rwanda. And some of you older ones may remember, I can't say for sure what year it was, but the Rwanda genocide. And in the Rwanda genocide, there was two groups of people who decided, the one group decided the other group should no longer exist. They began to annihilate this group. And uh, J.P. was a part of the group that was was they were trying to kill. 
And in a span of 100 days, 800, at least, no one knows for sure the exact number, but at least 800,000 of this tribe was killed. 800,000 in 100 days. Tremendous killing. And JP was in the middle of this. Many of his family was killed. His, his, his home country was, was looted and destroyed and, and, and things were stolen. People whom he thought were his friends turned against him. And it's only by the hand of God that he was not killed. There was multiple times when his life, and in fact, he was at one point number three on his enemy's hit list. He was number three. And there was multiple times when he should have died, but God spared his life. Now both of these men were wronged, probably more than any of us will ever be wronged. How would you respond if you were Rob or if you were JP? How would you respond to those hurts? Let me tell you how they responded. Rob is now in his 60s. He told me that he's forgiven his mom. But he's been angry at his father ever since. I told Rob one time that if he was going to be a true Christian, which he wanted to be, he wanted to follow God. He wanted to be right with God. But I told him if he was going to be a true Christian, he had to forgive his father. And he looked at me like I had given him an impossible thing to do. He told me, his dad is had passed away sometime before this, and he told me, he said, when I found out that my dad died, he said, I laughed. But he said, then I became very angry because I was not the one that killed him. Rob lived a miserable life. He spent 35 years in prison. All his life, he's dealt with addictions that have controlled him. And praise God, Rob has by the power of God, overcome many of these things. And I, I believe that he's living in victory today, but he's lived a miserable life. JP is different. JP has every right to be angry about the hurts in his past. But if you were to meet JP today, you would find a man at peace, a contented man, a happy man. And JP wrote a book, and in that book, there's a chapter called Forgiveness is Medicine. And I just want to read you a few things that J.P. wrote in this book. He said this, and I just want to say this as well. J.P. would consider himself a Christian. In what I'm going to read to you, the, the, the Christian part of forgiveness doesn't come out very much. It, it's more just the forgiveness from a maybe a secular standpoint, the benefits of forgiveness outside of Christ. And, and so I, I want to make that clear because forgiveness outside of Christ does have benefits, but it, it really is not true forgiveness. And we'll see that later in the message. But here's some things J.P. wrote in his book. He said, we have to get rid of what people have done to us and forgive them, whatever it is. The important thing is the decision we make in our lives so that we are not hurt by what people have done to us. Now, remember what people did to him a very terrible thing that people did to him. Then he says this, Imagine for a person to kill all your loved ones and also prevent you from entering heaven. Forgiveness is medicine because I felt the healing of wounds and I was free from the burden of grief and anger. 
In addition, forgiveness gave me hope, and I began to live an everyday life. The war of forgiveness helped me fight grief because it allowed me to cross the boundaries of grieving and focus on what is ahead. The term forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. Someone who does not forgive is like a prisoner, and we must forgive to free our hearts because what prevents someone from forgiving can stop him from moving forward. So here's a man who chose to forgive some terrible pain and hurts in his past. And again, if you meet JP today, he's a very friendly man. He's at peace with life. All right, with that introduction, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians, well, I'll, I'll go to that later. I'll give you the context of this verse later. Ephesians 4, the last verse in Ephesians 4 is a very familiar verse. It says this, Ephesians 4, 32, you probably could all quote it. It says this, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. A very familiar verse. This verse is probably quoted to children more than anyone else. Two children are maybe fighting over a toy, and you pull them apart and you say, now, you need to be kind one to another. Or maybe... Um, they're mad at a classmate and they come home and they're fussing and they're fuming because of what someone did to them in school and you say, you need to forgive one another. The Bible says to be kind and to forgive. Okay, and so we often quote this verse to children. I think that probably every song that I know that originated from this verse is a children's song. And yet I submit to you this morning that this verse is not a child's verse. Now it applies to children. And it's okay to use this for children, but it's not simply a child's verse. I want to begin by looking at the first half of this verse. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, if we were to stop there, this would serve us well, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter what religion you are, this first half of this verse would serve you well. Kind of like what I was talking about with J.P., there's benefits in being kind and forgiving outside of Christ, no matter who you are. If this would serve well as a life motto, whether you're a Christian or not. It would be a beneficial statement for a business to put in an employee handbook. This is how we're going to treat each other as employees. It would serve a country well to have this as, a, as an amendment in their constitution. This is how our citizens are going to relate to one another. In other words, there would be life benefits for anyone, anywhere who applies this first half of this verse to their life. But as soon as you include the rest of the verse, the second half of the verse, it suddenly becomes a supernatural work of God. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And suddenly forgiveness the way God requires, the forgiveness that God calls us to is something that can only be done with the, 
the transforming power of the gospel. So let me quickly now give you some context for this verse. In Ephesians, there are six chapters. The first three chapters are, you could call it theology or doctrine. The last three chapters are practical living. This verse, Ephesians 4.32, is in the practical living section. This is how we're going to live as Christians. But every practical teaching that we have in Ephesians is of trivial value if it does not flow forth out of the doctrine that is laid out in the first three chapters. And so that's very important to note. Forgiving for the sake of the benefits you receive in a, in a, just in an everyday sense, again, is good. But if it does not flow out of the teaching from the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's of trivial value. So the first three chapters of Ephesians shows us where we were without Christ. It shows us who Christ is. And it shows us who we are in Christ and the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. And it sums it up, I think, very well in Ephesians 2, verses, well, pretty much the whole chapter in Ephesians 2, but I'll just read a few verses, talking about we were dead in sins, we were hopelessly, helplessly separated from God, and then it says, Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were in this condition, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is the gift of God. And so that is who we were, and yet in spite of that condition, God in his love and mercy reached down and gave our dead, hopeless beings life. Life in and through Christ. By grace are ye saved through faith. It's not of ourself. It's the gift of God. So God, through the work of Christ, has offered this beautiful plan of salvation to each and every one of us. God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. That's, that's what we see in Ephesians. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. It's not because you deserve forgiveness. It's not because I deserve forgiveness. Because we didn't. It's not because we earned forgiveness. Because we didn't. God, for Christ's sake, because of the work of Christ, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. 1 John 2, verse 12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. That's why God has forgiven us. And now He says, you forgive, you be kind to your fellow man, to your brothers, to your sisters, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Because of what God has done for you. Just like God has done it for you when you were undeserving. That's what he's calling us to, to today. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now you 
forgive those who have wronged you. And God makes it very clear in His Word that if you do not do this, if you do not forgive your brother, if you do not forgive your sister, then God will not forgive you. And when Jesus taught His disciples how to pray, He taught them to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But then He went on to say, at the end of that prayer, He clarified that. And He said, if ye forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And yet, there are likely thousands of people today who name the name of Christ, who are probably sitting in churches right now, who have not forgiven the hurts in their past. They're holding on to those hurts. They're holding on to those injustices in their life. And I would just... Submit to you again this morning. You can't call yourself a follower of Christ if you cannot forgive your brother. If you cannot forgive the wrongs that you have experienced, then you have no comprehension of the forgiveness that is offered to you. The forgiveness that God has offered to you through Christ. And so now with that thought, I want you to turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is a very beautiful chapter. In Matthew 18, there is much restoration and there's much redemption in Matthew 18. And redemption and restoration is beautiful. And yet, wherever there is a need for redemption and restoration, there obviously has been hurt and something broken, something not right, whenever there's a need for redemption and restoration. In this chapter, Jesus tells the parable of a lost sheep. And He shows how the shepherd will leave the 99 sheep to go seek and to save that one lost sheep. And then there's six verses that Matthew 18 is probably most well known for. The, the, the six verses that show us how to restore a fallen brother. Someone who has fallen into sin and the steps that we are to take as a member of the body of Christ to go and to seek and to restore that lost brother. And then after this, Peter asked Jesus a very practical question. He says this, this is Matthew 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I forgive my brother? Sorry, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Now, I don't know. But I think it's quite likely that Peter had someone in mind when he said this. Maybe someone in Peter's life that was just a, a thorn in the flesh to him. Just continued to, to irritate him. Continued to do him wrong. Jesus, how often shall I forgive someone like this? A very good question. 
And, and no doubt many of you can relate to that question. Maybe someone comes to your mind. How often should I forgive someone who continues to offend me, continues to do me wrong? Here's Jesus' answer, verse 21. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And Jesus' answer to this question defies all human logic. What is the point of extending forgiveness to a brother who is habitually hurting you? Is it even possible to extend unlimited forgiveness to someone like this? And so Jesus then tells a parable to explain the why. Here's why I say this. Here's, here's how you can forgive a brother over and over and over and over again. Here's how. Here's why. Here's the parable Jesus tells, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And according to, to commentators, that 10,000 talents is millions of dollars. A debt that can't be paid. And that's how much this person owed. Verse 25. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence or a few dollars. And he laid, his, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wrought, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. I want you to think closely about the parable that Jesus gave here. The first man that owed this debt that he had no way of paying. It was going to take selling his wife, his children, and all that he had, and he still couldn't pay this debt. Who does that represent? Someone tell me. Anybody else? Is it just Wade? Each one of us. Thank you. It represents each one of us. All of us is who that represents. All of us owed a debt that we couldn't pay. 
all of us owed a debt that was going to mean judgment. And yet this picture here of this man who couldn't pay the debt, falling at the feet of his master and saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And you see that even in this this parable, he's going to try to pay it himself according to this. And yet he couldn't. There's no way he could. And his Lord had mercy on him. And he didn't say, okay, you do everything you can and, and I'll take care of the rest. He doesn't say that. He said, it says he loosed him. He let him go free and forgave the debt. And now you have this servant. He's forgiven. He's free of this debt. And he goes out and someone else does him wrong. Who does that represent? That represents the person that's offended me. My brother, my sister, who has falsely accused me, who has hurt me, who has whatever it is, little or big, that's what it represents. And he takes him by the throat and says, now you owe me. It's pretty foolish, isn't it? It's pretty absurd when you get that picture of someone who has been forgiven of so much, taking this man who owes him so little by the throat and saying, you must pay me everything. And yet that's the picture of me and of you when we refuse to forgive our brother, to forgive our sister. That's what it's like. And and the result of that unforgiveness is the Lord found out and he cast judgment upon this man whom, whom just a little bit before he had had mercy on. And forgave this debt. Now he is saying, I'm going to throw you into prison. And you owe everything. It's the judgment of God on mankind. Now I don't know all of your situations. No doubt there are people here who have been hurt tremendously by other people. And I'm not trying to minimize that hurt. And yet, what I want you to see is the tremendous debt that you have had forgiven. That's what I want you to see. And when you see that debt, it only makes sense that you would forgive the hurts in your past. Jesus ended this chapter with this. Verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, speaking of the judgment that this Lord brought on the servant, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And, and you may say, well, but you don't understand what I've been through. And I don't. And again, I'm not trying to minimize that pain. And yet, you don't understand what you've been forgiven if you cannot forgive your brother. Several months ago, I read a story. It was in the Calvary Messenger. I don't know. Does any of you here receive the Calvary Messenger? Okay. Um, it was about a young man. Well, it was written by this man is now a middle-aged man. But he was, it was a story that happened to him when he was a young man. I think maybe 17 years old. He, he thought he had the world by the tail. He, he, had his, he just got his driver's license. Him and some of his friends were, 
were going swimming or something one Sunday afternoon, and he was he was driving recklessly and ended up hitting a buggy. And in that buggy, it was an Amish couple. They were on their honeymoon, and he killed the young lady. And he wrote this story. It was a, a, a powerful story. And, he, and the, the point of the story was to highlight the forgiveness this Amish family had extended to him over this time. And he talks about the way the Amish reached out to him and extended forgiveness to him over this time. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details of the story, but I want to read you a paragraph in that story that's very important. Something that someone told this young man. This man's name was Joel. This, this man, Joel, his soccer coach told him this. He said, Joel, you will be compassionate from now on. And Joel writes this. He says, how true. Since that time, I have never had trouble forgiving people. Not that I have worked on it and have become talented at it. On the contrary, I think God must have changed my heart because I don't have to try to forgive anymore. It flows out as naturally as my heart beats without my having a say in the matter. Do you know why? Because of the forgiveness that was extended to him. He knew he didn't deserve that forgiveness. He was not worthy of that forgiveness that this Amish family extended to him. And because of that, any injustice in his life does not compare. And he just forgives. It's natural for him. And shouldn't it be that way for all of us? Because of what God has done for us. Jesus gives us an example of this as well in Luke 7. The woman who came and poured ointment on his feet. She washed his feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair. And the people that knew, knew this woman said, if you knew, Jesus, who this woman was, you wouldn't be letting her do this. And so Jesus told the Pharisees that were accusing this woman, he told them a parable. He said this, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Two men that had debt they couldn't pay, the one owed 100, one owed 50. And Jesus asked them, tell me therefore which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And then later in that passage, Jesus said this, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. If you cannot forgive your brother, then you do not understand the extent of forgiveness that God has offered to you. You don't understand the debt that you owe to God for your sin. All right, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit now. Another two more aspects of forgiveness that I believe are important to, to consider in being able to forgive those who hurt us. And that is our view of God. Our view of God 
is paramount in being able to forgive. Now, I told you about the Amish family that that forgave that young man who killed this lady. And I think probably if I were to ask you what group of people is best known for extending forgiveness, you would probably say the Amish. And that was, that was shown us most in the nickel mines tragedy when this terrible person came in and killed these innocent young girls. And the next day, I believe it was, or maybe that day, I don't remember, the, the Amish went to that, the, that man's widow and extended forgiveness. And that story spread across the world, this forgiveness that the Amish had extended to this person. And you see it in this story that I told you as well. How can the Amish forgive like this? How can they forgive something as atrocious as a man coming and killing young, innocent girls? I want to go back to Joel's story. He talks about this a little bit in his story, and he writes this. Some people have said that Amish can forgive like that because their theology leans toward fatalism. And he goes on to define what fatalism is, meaning that they believe everything is determined and is bound to happen. There is no reason to get all bent out of shape about something bad. God is in control. Okay, so this idea that what's going to happen will happen. You can't change it, so you might as well accept it. Okay, that's that's fatalism. God is in control. It's going to happen. Just accept it. Now, I don't know where you are, if you are a fatalist or if you are not a fatalist. I do not consider myself to be a fatalist. If you are driving home today and you are driving reckless and you are texting and you are, you know, whatever it is, and you hit a pedestrian, I don't think that was necessarily God's will. You were being reckless and the laws of nature took effect. Or if you decide tomorrow to go skydiving and your chute doesn't open and you splatter on the ground, I don't think that was necessarily God's will. Okay, if you would have stayed on the ground, you would probably still be alive. But that being said, I do believe in the sovereignty of God. And, and I think the sovereignty of God is something that I don't fully understand. I don't fully grasp. I think it's something we could use more teaching on. Whether or not God orchestrates everything that happens, I can't say for sure. But I do know that everything that happens is allowed by God. God does allow everything that happens. And everything that happens to you, if you surrender it to God, No matter how bad it is, if you surrender it to God, He can and will use it for His glory. And so, how do you view God? Do you believe that God is sovereign? And do you believe that God is good? Do you believe those things? I don't think it's God's will that men and women commit some of the horrible atrocities that they commit. I don't think that's God's will. But I do believe that even in the midst of these things, God can take these horrible things and He can use them for His glory. And the nickel mines tragedy is a tremendous example of this. God pointing many people to Himself because His people 
we're able to go through this and say, God is in control. God is sovereign. And we're going to put it in his, his hands and trust him to work his purposes in it. And many people were pointed to him because of this. Another example is the example of Joseph. I just recently read the, the story of Joseph. Joseph suffered so many wrongdoings. Was these things God's will? God allowed them and God used them. And Joseph, at the end of this story, when his brothers were there, he had all the power to get justice. He had all the power to, to give them what they deserved. But he said this, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And so Joseph had a high view of God that allowed him to, to face these horrible things in his life and yet say, I don't know why this is happening, but I know who is in control and I'm going to trust the one that is in control. And because of that, he saved his family and many other people because he trusted the God that was in control. The other thing we have to realize about God is that God will one day settle the score. God doesn't just let hurts and injustices go and, and, and ignore them. One day he will settle the score. Romans says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And because of that, because of that reality, because of that truth, Paul then says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, do what? Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. All flowing out of the reality that one day, God will set things straight. <clears throat> and it's so much easier to forgive if we understand that God sees and God will one day judge those who do not repent of their wickedness. I want to close with one verse of a song. As I was preparing for this message some time ago, I suddenly heard out in another part of the house this song being played. And I just stopped and, and I listened. It said this, I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. I know my name is clear before my Father. I am His child and I am not afraid. So greatly pardoned, I'll forgive my brother. The law of love, I gladly will obey. Yes, we've all been hurt. And yes, we all will be hurt. Some worse than others. And yes, it goes against everything our flesh desires. But can we surrender our hurts and our injustices to a good, sovereign God? The God who has offered you forgiveness, though you were undeserving. The God who can take the greatest of hurt and make something beautiful out of it. And the God who will one day set things straight. Let go of the pain of the past and experience the freedom 
that true forgiveness brings. And may he receive glory from our lives. Lord bless you.